called anti-trends, I think is, it doesn't bother me that much, but I think it's dishonest. And I think it, it lends itself to the idea that women can't be anything if they're not centering men. And calling me anti-trans means that I'm more preoccupied with the, the men than actually protecting women. And it's not the case. It's, this is about women. Um, and actually it's about men in women's spaces. It's not about women that call themselves trans. It's about men in women's spaces. Welcome to the New Flesh Podcast, the podcast you deserve. My name is Jonathan Astro. With me is Ricky Allpike. Ricky, how are you? I'm very good, thanks. Uh, I believe you uh, went to a rally a few days ago. I did. Um, I am essentially, like you've heard of the suffragettes. I'm probably a bit more radical than them. I, I'll probably, true, a bit, you know, just what I'm saying is I'm, I'm a real protester. And uh, I went along to Kelly J. Keene's Let Women Speak uh, uh, March with my kid. Just brought my kid along uh, down at Camperdown in Sydney and um, uh, grotesquely flagged her down after and, and said, do you want to come on Australia's uh, best podcast? And, and she said, yeah. Excellent. Well, I'm so excited to have a Kelly on the show. Uh, she's got a very tight schedule. I believe she's on some sort of world tour, which we'll ask her about. Uh, but she's managed to squeeze us in, which is brilliant. Yep. Well, um, stop stop wasting time, Ricky. Let's get into the, the juice <laughs> of it. All right. Okay. Kelly J. Keane, also known as Percy Parker, is a British female rights campaigner and podcaster. She is founder of Standing for Women, a global constituency who advocate for sex-based rights and protections for women. Kelly J. is on an intercontinental tour titled Let Women Speak and is currently down under in Australia. We're fortunate that uh, she could take the time out of her busy schedule to talk to us today. Kelly J., welcome to the New Flesh. Well, thanks so much for having me. Uh, I am going to mention the fact just quickly that uh, for our listeners uh, that Kelly J is looks fabulous and is all dolled up. So <laughs> I just wanted to mention that because it's otherwise it they, they wouldn't know. So <laughs> thank you well, for thanks. that. I think that is is very important. To me. <laughs> well, we've, I feel we've we've come to the party, haven't we? So uh, <laughs> anyway, we're going to start big uh, straight off the top. What is a woman? Oh gosh, it's so complicated these days. It's an adult human female, full stop. No, no if, no buts, no coconuts. That's it. Well, just, you said it so easily. It's just that it seems to be a hard question these days, particularly for women. I've seen. <laughs> well, it's relentlessly ridiculous. Um, but we, I think, I think everyone knows, uh, especially when they go out on a date. Uh, even heterosexual men can recognise what a woman is at that particular moment. So yes, it's. It's just straightforward. I don't know if you saw there's this clip going around from one of these Manosphere podcasts of a group of, of young girls, Americans, being asked by a guy, he says, what's a woman? Their answers, absolutely terrified. Every single one of them, absolutely terrified. Is this, is this something you mm. come across? Yeah, it is. Um, look, what we know about the uh, puber puberty of girls is they do two things. One is they become the most embarrassed ever, and embarrassment is all about... Uh, Forming relationships with your peers, pushing away from your parents. I have my, <laughs> I have my theories on why that is. Um, but also, you want to you want to fit in, and you're deeply, deeply embarrassed. And the cognitive dissonance of those particular girls in that room um, is palpable. I think it's really frightening, and we should look upon those girls and, as grown adults, think, "What the hell have we been doing?" Well, uh, I want to keep the party rolling, so I'm going to ask you just, this is just very basic things, but, you know, these are the questions that, that uh, I think you can answer. What does it mean to be non-binary? 
absolutely nothing. <laughs> I hear it a lot, though. Absolutely so nothing. It feels like it's, it has a lot more importance than, I mean, you know, I don't know. I feel like I hear it a lot now. Well, I, I wear a substantial amount of makeup. I think we can all agree. Um, and I'm relatively feminine in the way I present. And yet, I'm really good at maths and I'm good with engines. Does that mean I'm non-binary? I mean, I, I, I just think just achieve something other than a label and telling people what your pronouns are. For God's sake, kids, come on. Well, we've got one, one last question in this vein. Uh, what does queer mean to you? For me, queer still, queer probably means um, some sort of uh, Trojan horse that will bring in some pretty frightening uh, people into your spaces. That's what queer means. Well, everything you've just said is more rock and roll than, than anything we've heard in music since Britpop. Did, did, you ever <laughs> think, did you ever think you would become a kind of Sex Pistols figure? Uh, no. Although John Lydon, I think, funny you should mention the Sex Pistols, but he recently said that, you know, conservatives are the new rock and roll. Like conservatives are the anti-establishment these days, which is bizarre. I'd probably say I, I am socially conservative, but I have moments frequently on this tour where I'm in a beautiful hotel room with a lovely view somewhere and I'm like, literally traveling the world because I say women don't have penises. <laughs> I've literally managed <laughs> to get to the other side of the world just to, just because I will, without hesitation, say that women don't have penises. Well, well I've, I've often said that if I was to start a punk band, we would sing songs about how the nuclear family is the, the, the new hot thing, how <laughs> heterosexual sex is great, the missionary position, that's where it's at. You know, I, d I just don't mm -hmm. think I'd be able to find bandmates to join me, though. Well, I think you've told us a lot about yourself. Uh, right in, <laughs> in, in, this is Ricky's idea, not mine. Okay. <laughs> so we're very confused at some of the language and ideas we hear coming from the trans activist or trans ally mm -hmm. side of the equation. We're going to get to, to women and girls, I think, uh, uh, shortly, which is, I think, where the conversation is probably better suited. But... You know, the fact is Australia voted for gay marriage years ago, uh, like much of the West, and we consider ourselves mm -hmm. uh, on board with LGB rights and the ability of trans people to live their own lives free of discrimination. But it seems that it, it's more than just basic rights we're talking about, uh, employment, privacy and things like that. Uh, maybe I'm thinking about this as well because it's been World Pride recently. I don't know if you noticed in Sydney there's a lot of uh, advertising for uh, World Pride. No, I didn't notice. You didn't, I, you I didn't, didn't notice any. You didn't see I, I didn't notice the flags everywhere and the crosses. And no, I I'm surprised someone when you get off the plane doesn't like you know dressed in a, a, a rainbow colored ninja outfit doesn't kick you in the face and say <laughs> by the way we're here we're queer and all the rest of it but it seems that we're it's more about uh, less about those basic rights and we're being asked to accept if you've seen some of the ads around and things like that we're being asked to accept furries and flashes and anime fantasies and other perversions as being sort of important pillars of the LGBTQ plus 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 civil rights push. So my question is, what's your take on this, this uh, phenomenon generally and, and maybe the links between porn and kinks and, and this section of the movement? Oh, I think it's heterosexuality, right, does um, makes men different. So I've been to places where heterosexuality exists, uh, i.e. the influence of women, not the influence of kind of heterosexual um, uh, behaviour or that the homosexuality is somehow uh, deviant or anything. I don't think it is. I think it's all perfectly normal um, in equal measure, right? 
But I've been places where women have absolutely no power and it's palpably different. So when you've got, uh, say, for example, Thailand, when you've got a bar of Western men who've all purchased themselves a woman for the night, uh, it's, it's, it's like tangibly really awful. You can taste the misogyny. It's so revolting. And I think when it comes to um, pride, it's centered men. I think if, we, if we'd had um, lesbian and gay rights, or if we just had lesbian rights, if gay rights wasn't actually a thing that was being sought, I don't think they would have achieved anything. I think the fact that it's men's rights, you know, we often talk in, in my sort of area of the world that transgenderism is a male sexual rights movement. Um, but I don't know. I don't know what the answer is to kink. I mean, we've got pictures in the UK where police go to, police have gone to Pride and they're literally holding the leash of a man dressed up as a rubber, as a rubber dog. Um, and kids doing it and kids petting dogs. <laughs> I saw a picture recently of a horse, like a furry, with human breasts, uh, human-shaped breasts on a horse, okay. talking to a child at a crossing. Oh, <laughs> just having a chat. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I just think, do what you like. Go and have, have the time of your life. Do it somewhere. You know, even your good countryman, Michael Hutchins, had the... Had the um, the politeness to do everything that he wanted at home. Yeah, in a closet. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Quite literally for him, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, but just do it do it at home. Um I don't tell people whether I like fried eggs sunny side up in an email or on a pride day. Just do it at home. Nobody cares. It's boring. Nobody cares what you want to do in bed. Nobody cares about your fetish. We all find it just boring. They have seemed to have sort of glommed on to LGB rights, haven't they? Like all these, all these different kinks yeah. that come up. They've just tacked it all on to the to the end of the letters here, and it, and a lot of it has zero to do with with you know the rights that gay people were were fighting for back in the day, like uh, gay marriage, uh, you know, equal respect at work, and non discrimination in the workplace, that sort of thing. So. Do you, do you have any theories of, of, of how it's gotten that far, how they've been able to just tack themselves on to the back of this movement? Uh, well, they've, uh, they've used the, the language of so many movements, whether it's, uh, so you've got intersex people. Um, very, very rarely intersex people had am ambiguous genitalia. They now use, uh, they've appropriated the term assigned at birth, because actually for very, very tiny amounts of the population, they were assigned a sex, a sex at birth because it wasn't obvious straight away. Um, I just, it, none of it is true. I think that's the, the biggest thing about, about all of it. Um, and how they've attached themselves to LGB. I think first of all, the first transsexuals, the first men that actually had sex changes and uh, were gay men. I think it was just sort of, uh, it was an easier way to deal with the fact that you wanted to have sex with other men. So I think it was gay men. So there was a, it was a natural thing that those gay men would stay part of like gay rights. But that isn't how it is anymore. It's the majority of men that call themselves trans are heterosexual fetishists. So it doesn't make any sense. It's really homophobic. Uh, it's a deeply homophobic uh part of society so i think lgb would be clever at this point to just totally get rid 
because the backlash is coming um, and it, it won't be nice and it won't remember that lesbians and gays uh, and bisexuals stood against this. Uh, they will be treated the same as the, the whole group of them that call them trans um, and whatever special terms they've come up with. Now, perhaps perhaps we turn our attention to your massive world tour. I'm not sure we can officially call it a world world tour, but I'm going to go with it. You're currently on the Australian leg of this tour. Uh, you've already spoken in Sydney and Brisbane and will be speaking on the 18th of March in Melbourne, which is uh, where I currently live, so I'm going to attend that. Uh, can you outline for our audience what this tour is and how it's gone so far? Okay, so it started in the UK quite some time ago, uh, this thing called Let Women Speak. In fact, back then it was just called, we just called it Speaker's Corner. And the idea is that women in the modern public square, which is social media, um, so it might be Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, um, or any of the, like Reddit, uh, you are not allowed to say that women don't have penises. Um, and you're not, there's a whole host of things that you're not allowed to say. And so we thought, well, let's bring this back into the actual public square. So that's kind of that, that was the, the idea. That was the inception of the whole thing. And then when we, uh, so we used to just go to Hyde Park Speaker's Corner uh, in London. And then we decided to take it across the country because there's loads of women that can't get to London, um, which probably doesn't make sense to, to you Aussies because it's only a two hour drive for some people. Uh, but we, we don't drive because we're so small. Um, and so for some people, it was difficult to get there. So we did one in Nottingham and a, a lot of women started chatting at trans activists, let women speak. And so then it, it began. So I've also done a tour of the United States and um, Australia is nuts. You're sterilizing kids. Uh, you're putting massive, great big men like Hannah Macy to play against tiny, <laughs> tiny women in handball, which, look, forgive me, I don't even know why it's a sport. <laughs> Are you talking about AFL? Are you, you talking about our, our national sport here? Aussie rules football. Is that what it is? Is it? Is it, is it I thought it was called hand. Is it not called hand? Do you mean? Do you, are we talking about the same thing? I thought she was. She, Hannah was playing uh, um, Australian AFL. rules football. She is. Yeah. Okay. Oh, is it? Okay. So, what is that like? A Maybe mix she's of transitioned into into handball. I don't know. Well, look, it's, let's say it is a real sport. Let's just cut that argument right there. I took umbrage. I was like, what? I was like, what are you saying? What are you saying, Limey? What are you saying? <laughs> I'm so sorry. Like, we invented so many of your sports, but you just said that. Anyway, I'm joking. I'm joking. It's true, true, true. Um, it is true. It is true. Um, so, anyway, so you've got giants like Hannah Massey, and I obviously went to Atlanta where Leah Thomas is. You've got, you've got men in women's prisons. You're sterilizing kids. Um, and I sort of think the reason you were caught here is because you're nice people and you're easygoing and you're a bit like live and let live. Everything's fine. And your government was like, oh, okay, you're going to be live and let live. Well, we can just do whatever we like. And this is sort of some big global agenda. Um, so anyway, to Let Women Speak is about an event where we have um, a space, a microphone for women to simply speak about the things that are happening in their lives, uh, mostly connected to this particular issue. Can you tell us about what types of stories and experiences women are bringing up at these events? Uh, maybe tell us about the women also in terms of age and background, if, if you wouldn't mind. It's right the way through. So it's uh, children to women in their 80s. It's lesbian women that, that fought for lesbian rights the first time around and thought, 
They'd never have to do it again. It's those women. It's those women talking about the loss of their spaces. It's women who've suffered childhood sexual abuse at the hands of men uh, who talk about why women-only space is really important. It's women that are in schools that now have to uh, teach things that they don't agree with or they have to endorse the idea that a boy is actually a girl. Um, it's people in government. We had uh, your uh, um, one of your MPs there today. Uh, there was another MP that turned up in Brisbane. So it's like in the UK, we have a regular called Nina, uh, and we have other women who have non-verbal autistic girls. And their daughters, what they really, and I'm sure it happens to all parents who have children with profound learning difficulties, that what you worry about is what happens when you can no longer advocate for your children? What happens when you, you die and your daughters are still alive and they're reliant on the state and somebody else to look after them? And those women are absolutely petrified that the person that will come to look after their daughter, the, the people assigned to look after their daughter will be biological men who call themselves women. Um, we had a, an amazing woman called Natalie at Speaker's Corner recently, and she'd had her back broken by her last husband when she was five months pregnant and pelvis shattered. And she was in a wheelchair. Um, and she talks about that our government will send a man to come and do intimate care, will help her wash. And she just has to turn them away. Uh, and it's, you know, these stories are the same the world over. We have women talking about how their husbands have coercively controlled them. Um, and those, those men sort of claim to be women. So it will be incremental sort of abuses um, and crossing those women's boundaries until those women just either leave or are completely annihilated in their own houses. So it's, it's every story that you can possibly imagine where a woman feels that she has uh, suffered somewhat at the hands of men and they're not, you know, some of them will just be, I just don't want those men in my space. I'm interested, uh, Kelly J, about the very first event that you held. So, you know, if you could maybe tell us about the very first time you turned on the mic and and actually went through this experience. And the second part of the question is, if you've if you've um, you know you can say no to this, but if you've had any any growth, personal growth or development um, through hosting these events, going on this journey, um, has your thinking changed? What's what's the ride been like? So, first question first. Uh, the first event. I think we did it on International Women's Day and we just went to Speaker's Corner. Um, I reckon that was 2019 that we did that. And then obviously we had lockdown. Um, I got arrested once for trying to do a Speaker's Corner in Leeds because I wasn't actually fighting against racial equality. So you could still catch COVID. But if you were, if you were marching for BLM, then you were, you were immune from COVID. But talking about women's rights, apparently you could still catch it. So I got arrested. Um, so the first event was just lots of women speaking. I think even an anti-feminist uh, woman stood up. Now, I'm not a feminist, but I'm not an anti-feminist either. And it was probably a little bit more like, I don't know, speeches that people make uh, when, they, when they're giving a speech. Whereas now what we have is personal stories, is women who for the first time have broken the silence in how just horrendous they feel. They, the, women the world over feel like we're being gaslit by the state. And gaslit is a word that, that kind of gets bandied about all the time, but we do really feel like the state is telling us that it's kind 
to step aside and feel uncomfortable in our own spaces and like for men to use our language and it's it's a bit nuts personal journey wise uh i've probably learned that i'm quite a nice person <laughs> i probably learned that i'm an all right person i think uh maybe i didn't think i was before this um i don't know i i'm quite sure of who i am so maybe that sounds really arrogant but i i knew that women's voices are powerful especially when you watch a woman with um like a, a quivering voice and shaking hands say something that you know that she's been desperate to say for such a long time and you watch it it's it's incredibly powerful and it occurred to me when i was looking at your your punishing tour schedule and the fact that uh you're talking to us now where when you've just come come from uh, one of these rallies in perth uh, that it, this must be difficult on on your family life. How how does it affect um you know you you, you and your family uh, and your home life? Well, Perth is more difficult than Sydney because Sydney I can speak to my kids twice a day and my husband. Um, like I can speak to them at the beginning of their day and the end of their day, so that's quite good. I mean, my kids are like fourteen, sixteen, uh, nearly twenty, and twenty one, so. I'm not sure they're missing me quite as much as I'd like. <laughs> um, and it's, it's really great for my husband, I think, because he's always been amazing. But when I'm not there, I, I'm sure the, the things reserved for mom uh, then get passed on to my husband. So it's, it's great. I, I miss them so much, but I sort of feel like they're old enough that I can, I can leave them. Um, and we have a pretty open, great relationship. So if anything was going on, I can, I can deal with that, but it's, it's a really long time and it's grueling. And apparently if you travel too much in the air, you just stop looking re really fat because <laughs> you just, I'm like, none of my clothes properly fit since flying. And then I said to someone, they were like, well, you do keep flying a lot. I said, oh, is that it? I'll just, I'll cycle around Australia next time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that would get you fit. Or dead. Fit or, or dead. dead. Yes, yes, fit or dead. It's a great slogan. Wolf Creek. Have you seen Wolf Creek? Uh, you know, that's a documentary. <laughs> uh, I haven't seen it, but I'm going to imagine that I get it. I get the joke yeah. and the <laughs> reference. Yeah, the, 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 the. <laughs> Now, I, I, I wonder if you faced any obstacles in organising the public events across Australia. Um, you know, I'd, I'd like to know what, what, what you think the state of free speech is like in our fair country. Uh, you know, w were you threatened overtly or covertly or forced to deal with a lot of red tape to, to get into our country? Some of your politicians thought that they could stamp their feet and not let me get in. So, uh, and then I was called by immigration when I was coming in. I was like, oh, here we go. Uh, but they were fine. Uh, but there's a couple of green politicians and a Labour MP, I think. Um, Rob Sims, I think, is one of them. And there was another guy that had an actual petition to try and stop me. So there's been that. But your police have been magnificent uh, in comparison to the police in the UK that let them get a little bit too close and let them drown us out. And in America, as long as they don't touch you, the activists can be right up in your face. They can put a siren or a bullhorn right next to your ear and uh, you just have to suck it up. So I think given that, I think women should be encouraged to do much more of speaking like this in the open because the police, 
I really can't fault them. They kept the tr- so the trans activists came out to oppose us. They had they said what they wanted. I think actually, if you're going to protest against people, it's probably better to have more um, more slogans than "f off," which is pretty much what they kept saying. Just "f u c k off," um, or, or "trans women are women." But they came. They said their bit. They moved on. I think that's that's a mature uh, democracy. So I'm I'm quite happy for people to come and protest. It does mean the media attend. And I don't know if they would if it was just women talking about women's rights. So the trans activists, um, as usual, do my job better than I could. Well, actually, while we're in this neighbourhood, we don't need to spend too much time on this because it feels, but it does feel necessary to address the way you've been described in the press. And rather than, you know, go through a carousel of them, I just think this excerpt from the Daily Mail is is, is perfect. So, you know, here here we go. Quote, Police are on high alert in Sydney as a controversial anti-trans rights campaigner prepares to give a speech on Saturday. UK-based activist Kelly J. Keane, who also goes by the name of Posey Parker online, believes it's impossible to change sex and campaigns to exclude trans women from female-only spaces. Uh, The right-wing campaigner who has built a following in the UK with transphobic campaigns under the guise of women's rights We'll go, we'll, go, we'll go on to do a Let Women Speak tour across Australia. So it's a bit of a plug there at the end. Uh, what's, your, what's your response to, to this, uh, this, I think, which, which is a typical description? Uh, actually, this is more moderate. There are, there are yeah. uh, ones that are to, to the, shall I say, to the left of, of this description. Well, um, the Daily Mail in the UK actually like me. They think I'm pretty great. So they do really positive stories. So when, when they first came out and they were saying that I had links to really terrible people. I did contact the Daily Mail in the UK and said, get that off, because that's that's completely defamatory, libelous, kind of actionable stuff. Um, the fact that I'm called anti-trans, I think is, it doesn't bother me that much, but I think it's dishonest. And I think it, it lends itself to the idea that women can't be anything if they're not centering men. And calling me anti-trans means that I'm more preoccupied with the, the men than actually protecting women. And it's not the case. It's This is about women um and actually it's about men in women's spaces it's not about women that call themselves trans it's about men in women's spaces um as for the right wing stuff i i'm not right wing but i i don't want to start kind of publicly saying i'm not and distancing myself from it because it doesn't actually make any difference where i am on the political spectrum i just don't think men can be women and i don't think any of them should be in women's space so it's it's not that complicated. Don't sterilize kids. Don't use female language for men. Don't let men come in our space. And don't um, erode what it means to be a woman in any way, shape or form. It's interesting. You know, I've read, read quite a few articles about your tour and yeah, they all are written in the same way. And they always do that flip where they, where they say you're using women's rights as a guise to take down trans people you know uh and and, and yeah they, they're always far, you know they always say that you're far right as well but mm-hmm. do, do you think the average person can see through this smear campaign or is it working i think there'll be people on the uh deluded side of history that will read it and just think oh she's a terrible person and then there'll be some people that don't like what's going on but don't really know very much about it and then might look me up and then might find out that I'm none of those things. 
I'm, I'm not the things that I'm described as. Um, and then there's some rapidly obsessed left-wing feminists who <laughs> will just be delighted because uh, TRAs and left-wing feminists on the whole, not all left-wing feminists, not probably all TRAs, um, they've been hell-bent hell -bent in pretending that I have this other agenda, which is right wing. Although I don't know why I would just, why I wouldn't just go for the right wing stuff and stop saying that women don't have penises. I have no idea. But what about the, but about the merits though? Like, I don't understand the, this, the, because I just read just before I got in here on Twitter, I, 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 someone who describes themselves as a journalist in, uh, uh, in the town that you're in right now, and the, the way they described what was going on at your campaign was 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 a total old-fashioned smear. You know what I mean? Like everything they said, they said far right. They said that the one nation people, which is a which is a a, a very right-wing um outfit here in Australia, but still to mention them, the four of them that were probably there, like you know, as as being like a key part of your. You, you know your entourage your, uh, entourage <laughs> yeah that's right your gang like west side story so I, I i just don't understand that like i'm obsessed with this idea of even if even if you were far right or whatever like you know um what if the things you were saying uh, were true well this is this is it isn't it we've we've ceased to be able to um think about ideas and we think about people saying them, which means people saying them can have bad ideas, but if it's the right people saying them, then we can follow it on and we can follow that idea. So that's, that's really what's happened. I just, I find it really just crazy. I think, um, is it Kate Emery that you were talking about? Is it a woman called Kate? I never kiss and tell, but yes, it was. Well, she just called me. Um, so I had an interview with her about three o'clock this afternoon and I said to her, do you think, she said anything else you want to add? And I said, yes. Do you think you could call me a women's rights campaigner? Because that's what I am, rather than an anti-trans activist. And she said, it's noted. And I just thought, if I was six foot seven and a bloke, and I said um, that I was a woman, she'd, she'd write that. She'd have no problem about that at all. Well, I just, I was just struck by it. I just, I, to me, it was one of these instances as we get deeper into this, uh, this business of, of podcasting, I find people that I obviously follow, been following your work for quite some time. So I feel like I know the ins and outs of a lot of what you're saying. And to hear a, a, a mainstream uh, journalist, you know, package up something that I know well, and it, it really um, revealed to me the game. Like I was just like, what, what, why wouldn't she want to play it straight? Like, like if she is a journalist, she should have said, she could have said a lot of the things she said in, in her tweet about that she focused, the picture was, by the way, of the trans uh, allies. So it was about you, it was slamming you and that your One Nation element uh, crew and, um, and a picture of the TRA. So to me, I think that people need to, don't you think, do you think that people need to, to, to look past, I mean, you know, focus on, on, the, on the, the rights of women and girls, but there is an, what do we say about the media here? It just revealed to me the veil dropped in this moment and, and I saw the game, you know? Well, I think what we now have, uh, because print media in particular um, and those, that sort of legacy media is dying and so they don't pay very much. So they've got um, like skeletal not very well-trained staff. They're not, she's not interested in 
um, some sort of investigative journalist kind of piece where it says what's really going on. She already had her mind made up before she went, and uh, I'm sure she could find plenty of stuff to suit her confirmation bias. So when she saw One Nation, she's like, oh, yes, okay, well, they are far far right. As opposed to listening to the woman who talked about, you know, in WA government uh, literature for children, so parents dealing with their children, it talks about babies' sexuality, not to two, babies' sexuality, and how babies experience sexuality in a different way (laughs) than adults. Mm. That that's written down in a, in a in a pamphlet or something. It's in a thick book to tell you how to not to two the the section is, and it's about baby sexuality and how all of us have a sexuality, which is straight out of queer theory, paedophile kind yeah, of. Yeah, I was, was going to say, isn't that isn't that John John Money right there? Wasn't he all about? Yeah, and also I always forget who's the. There's a guy. Um, beginning with F, who is a sexologist, who, like this Kinsey, um, there's Hugh Hefner that was also um, a, a big fan of Kinsey. I think he might have lived with him. Foucault, that's who it is. Um, Michel Foucault, mm. yes. He, He's always involved there somewhere, isn't he? Frenchman comes up a lot on this podcast. Yeah. Mm. I won't ask why. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's he's one of the in the in the round table of postmodernist villains. He's he's at the table. Yeah, you know. Well, I, I mean, I've got feminist friends. I've got feminist friends who defend it, and I'm like, it's not. I don't care what you think he meant. He basically gave license to people to say that uh, children have a sexuality. So, but why can't I mean? This is what I don't understand: is that the the moment because this hearing that makes me want to ask the next question, which is, okay, we'll get to the what what you've said in a second. Firstly, I want to know um, who were the stakeholders that that um, put that information in there. It was it a third party that gave you that information? Let's we need to talk to them. We need to identify them and talk to those people, mm. like before we even yeah. think about what you're even saying. So, but the, the moment you start saying that, you sound like a conspiracy theorist. But really, that's a very alarming factoid. Yeah, well, it was. To- I mean, if somebody had just told me and I hadn't held the book in my hand and flicked through to that particular page and found it, I might think it was a little. Actually, I wouldn't anymore. But I might have thought it was far fetched. But I think the stakeholders are Brian, Dave, and John, <laughs> 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 who like to be Mildred, Deirdre, and Janet every Friday. I picture I that know. being on one of those black T-shirts with the with the white names. You know, just got like you know Paul, John, and Ringo. We have those names on there. You know. <laughs> I would love it. I might do that myself. I, I do think it's important that we, that we try and pin down where, you know, who's putting this information into these sorts of publications because I'm sure Premier Mark McGowan, who's the Premier of, of WA, I mean, he's not putting it in there. Like, like they're getting advised by someone, but that someone is always anonymous. You, you never know who the body is, who, who the people are that's putting it in there. Uh, how, you know, how do we shed light on this? Well, we have – so we have an organisation and this is going to – I'm telling you – from my truthful soul, uh, I don't have a soul, but I'm telling you the absolute truth here. So we have an organization called Educate and Celebrate. Now, Educate and Celebrate is an organization that will go into school on the kind of the whole rainbow, inclusion and diversity, which is a 
a really good way of getting into schools. You talk about inclusion and diversity and what that stems from and in government and in the police is that they maybe don't have the budget, the time or the inclination to have somebody trained and do it from them. So these organizations sell themselves into your schools, uh, to your government and they say, hey, we can help you write this particular policy. So that's how it happens. Um, so educate and celebrate, we're, <laughs> we're in a school, a primary school, and on the primary school website were some posters that the children had designed and materials from Educate and Celebrate, and it was, love has no gender, um, love has no race, and love has no age, which is proper paedophile. Now, one of the patrons of Educate and Celebrate is a well-celebrated man called Peter Tatchell, who is a gay rights activist, so-called. Peter Tatchell on his website has got a whole story of an interview he apparently did with a 14-year-old boy who wanted to have a 25-year-old boyfriend. And all the way through this story is things like sexual encounters of this boy when he was 10, 12, how he was getting paid for sex when he was 13, um, how he'd met paedophiles, but actually most of the men weren't paedophiles. They were really nice men. Mm. And paedophiles are sort of men that, that you know, there was a, a lot of consent and he just wanted to love his boyfriend who's 25. Peter Tatchell also, when pie was a thing, uh, wrote to The Guardian about a nine-year-old boy who was subjected to sort of a sexual encounter with a grown man but didn't feel bad for it. So could he really say that that was child abuse? So, I mean, these things are all online. You can check them out if you fear kind of uh, any litigious action against your podcast. But... These are all these are all absolutely out there for anybody to find. Um, so if that's one that I know about and I know about it, how do we know that there's not loads of these men in these positions of kind of going into schools, uh, doing things like queering the classroom, talking about sexuality with babies like it's it's all there, right? Well, uh, some of this stuff sounds like some like, you know, we, we, it's coming out of the mouth of a man in a trench coat at a bus stop we, you know, whispering in your ear like whispering in your ear saying you know babies have sexuality you know and you go get away from me you crazy man so i yeah. don't understand yeah. why these these laughable ideas are most look here's here's the question how many women you know do you think are 100 percent with you on this journey and secondly you know do, do you think that that there's any parent out there realistically that would that would be if they understood 100 percent all the things you're saying about about this would be like yeah that's that's fine i'm, I'm down with that i'm down with all that mm. well even those that are kind of pretend to be okay you're like all right you get a babysitting service your kids are sort of two and four you get a babysitting service and it's janet grandparent uh 60 years old turns up and it's six foot two clive um in a bad wig and a dress, you're not leaving your kids. You're just not leaving your kids with that person. You're not leaving your kids with that man. I think most people are under some sort of illusion that the men that call themselves women are really vulnerable. And it's, it's apparently really brave to step outside the house dressed like an absolute state um, and dress like women. I think they think it's uh, an extension of kindness. And I think and I hate to say this because I'm not a feminist and I don't want to paint women as victims. 
But if the world took women seriously and cared about women at all, this wouldn't be happening. But it is. And so my only conclusion is that we're not taken seriously. I've, I've literally listened to radio stations in, in the UK. In fact, I rang into one talking about how women feel afraid. And I was completely dismissed about men in women's spaces who call themselves women, men in women's spaces. And then a man phoned up and the guy, like for me, he was like, oh, I suppose you're some sort of Islamic fascist state, blah, because I didn't want a man in the changing room. And he just kept saying, what do you think I'm going to do if I'm in the changing room next to you? Like, what am I going to do? It was just horrible. The man phones in, he's like, oh, mate, yeah, I get it. Yeah, you must be so afraid. Like, uh, you know, we're all here for you, mate. And I'm like, I'm five foot one. I don't know what that is in real money, 156 centimetres. Um, no, I'm a small woman. And my fears about men in my space are completely dismissed. Um, and the man who says that he's frightened to go in, men, in men's spaces is completely sort of taken into account. But, you know, paedophiles, they play a long game. They play a very, very long game. We ignore these kind of safeguarding warnings at our peril. Well, I believe, I believe they call them a minor attracted people these days. Mm. Uh, but moving along. Yeah. <laughs> we've, got to be, we've got to be respectful. We do. Ricky. We do. Well, they have yeah, a flag now, apparently. Take, boys. <laughs> well, we, we spoke with Helen Joyce a few months ago, and she said that it's possible for a woman of a certain class and profession, let's call them the, the, the laptop class, to, to, to make it to their late 30s before they realise the physical differences between men and women. I, I feel as though women of, of a working class background understand these differences because they're not in a sterile office space doing the same work as a man, typing away, you know, mm. attending Zoom meetings and sending emails. Do you think this issue divides along class lines? I think it probably does. I, th look, I, I was raised working class and um, I, I have always been aware of being female. Um, I may have even used it to my advantage on occasion, even in, even in a work environment. Um, but now in these sterile it, it, communities, uh, like workplaces where there's so much rigid, weird kind of, um, uh, pomp and ceremony around how you can behave in work. I th look, I think these women, if they, if they don't understand uh, men in their spaces. Um, yeah, maybe it is a laptop generation thing. Maybe Helen's right. Um, I just, I'm not one of those people. So I find it a little difficult to believe, but then these women also aren't having babies. They, they are definitely, um, dating men who are saturated in porn. So I don't know why, although those young women are being coerced into also watching porn. Um, so, yeah, maybe it is. Maybe if you're privileged, maybe if you go to a nice school, maybe if you can choose your lovely posh gym, um, maybe you're not touched by this until you're, you're in your late 30s. Mm. But those women also have a really weird idea about fertility and when they can have babies. Now, this movement has seen some intermingling that you might not have seen in the past, I would say. So we've got religious people and secular people. People on the left and right, the way we used to understand them, that is. Uh, uh, maybe even people from different classes. Um, I'd like you to comment more, um, you know, broadly on, on the strange bedfellows, if you could. Well, 
look, you say that, that, that this doesn't normally happen. This has always happened. It just hasn't happened for a little bit while we've got a bit bonkers. So if I, I'm like 48, uh, don't, don't, like, you can just accept it. Um, so I'm 48. And um, when I was younger and we'd play games or we'd go and see my friends or whoever I hung out with, uh, we either talked about politics and argued and had a lot of fun or we didn't talk about it at all. Um, nowadays, I think people talk about it a lot and we are entrenched in our particular uh, spaces online or belief systems. And that's because we, we, don't really, we don't really live where we grew up. And I've, I've thought about this a lot recently. And when you're growing up, you might have somebody who's, you know, when I went to, a, I was state educated. So you might have someone who's really quite well off and you might have someone who's not quite well off and you might have someone from a broken home from different sort of socioeconomic or race or whatever. You'd have all these different people and we'd all get along and you could get along because Dan might be a bit annoying, but he's Dan and you've known him your whole life. And so it's fine. He can be annoying and John might be a show off, but that's just John. Um, and I think as we sort of migrate so much uh, from town to town and place to place, for work and middle class people do this more. Working class people probably stay in the the place where they were raised. Um, you just sort of lose uh, you lose the capacity to accept people as human beings first. So now we have pro life right wing Christians alongside um, you know far left lesbians, um, and it's a beautiful thing. And what doesn't happen? in that space is all the people on the left suddenly lurch to the right. That just doesn't happen. I think everybody um, listens with an open mind to each other, but I've literally been to right-wing Christian places in America where left-wing lesbians have given talks. And those right-wing Christians, probably for the first time ever, have seen the humanity of that woman um, and will leave that space forever changed. And I think it's incredible. Well, wherever you go, you, you attract protesters. And, and I think there's some benefit in attempting to understand the, the people on the other side. Uh, I found my, I was there uh, for your Sydney uh, event and I found myself amongst them on the, on the way back to the car. And I was just fascinated by them because I sort of, in, I'm incognito. I don't have all the, the, uh, the diamantes on. So uh, what's, what's, what's your take on, uh, on you know, who these people are and, and what they want? Well, you're right. I do get protesters wherever I go and it makes the weekly shop impossible. Um, but we have, uh, these are confused kids. Like a lot of them are quite misfits. Um, and they, they, um, sorry, my, my headphones went weird. Um, a lot of the children are misfits and, uh, you think that they, I think they find their tribe because they don't have any other. There's a lot of girls at Virtue Signal and, and where you find a, a young man who's decided he's trans, there's some really nasty cheerleading girls around them. They're the ones I was, I was walking to the car behind. It was, it's like sort of a heavy set guy who's, I guess, you know, saying he's trans and his gang of handmaidens. And they were, it was really, it was absolutely fascinating. They were all looked like, like just white, um, like, uh, middle-class uni students? Well, that's probably because they are. Um, also, they, I think for young women, they look, at, they look at middle-aged women, they look at women like me, and they think, I don't want to be old and irrelevant. 
uh, you know, like with sort of wrinkles and um, not so sexually alluring. I don't ever, like, that's the worst thing that can happen to a young woman is to see herself, see her currency disappear before her very eyes. So there's a lot of hatred. There's a lot of kind of, I hate my mom, and now I can come and shout at these women, or I don't want to become that thing. Um, and they don't quite connect it that uh, the the way they feel um, in this society is because women do lose their value once they're older, whereas in a way that men don't. While we still have you here, um, I, I think your personal story is, is interesting because you, you haven't risen out of academia or, or life as a politician and you're not a lawyer or a journalist, but you've been thrust into public life. Uh, can, can you tell us about your background and, and, and what life was like before we had this, this term turf? Okay, so I, um, I did a theology degree, then I went into sales. I was very good at it. I was really good in a, in a male environment. And um, and I met my husband and uh, fell in love and moved in with him after about two weeks. And we've got four children and we've been together about 25 years. Uh, and in 2015, I just discovered that when I said, when I questioned whether or not someone was a woman, like these men look like truckers. They just, they, they just look like truckers. They, and I'm not trying to be unkind, they genuinely did. Uh, with bad wigs and bad makeup and they dress like secretaries out of some sort of 1980s Michael J. Fox film. Um, and I just said, are you sure you're, you identify as a woman? And, and it was uh, vitriolic. Um, and then I have been really badly attacked by feminists, even when I call myself a feminist. And so I came up with this idea uh, after t starting to talk about this online from 2015. In 2018, I put up a billboard with the dictionary definition of the word woman, uh, because I just thought that is the, that's the central kind of nucleus of what's happening here. Um, and it was uh, taken down for hate speech. And so that's just what it is. I don't mind not being liked. I think that's, I think it's not very female. It's not a very feminine sort of quality, but I really, really don't mind who likes me and who doesn't because I'm right. And so, I'm happy. I'm happy to take on uh, anybody, uh, really, to to just speak the truth. You are you are a parent, as you've you've mentioned. Now, I I put this question to one of your co-conspirators, uh, uh, Catherine Deves, uh, and I would like your response to it. So, let's say a trans or gender gender swap uh, contagion or LGBT contagion sweeps across your child's peer, peer group at school or, or any sort of group or organization that, you know, your kids are part of uh, or, or just a friend group perhaps, what's your practical advice for, for parents in this, in this situation? A one, two, three, what can, what can they do? Uh, turn off the internet. Don't turn it back on. Uh, just get, get rid of it. Get it out of your house. Uh, talk to your child. Work out where they're coming from. Often it's a response to trauma or it's um, they're being coerced or they're being groomed. Um, so that would be my first thing, just, just cut off the internet. Um, secondly, do not uh, conform or comply with their demands. So don't use pronouns, don't use their, their brand new name, which often is terrible. Um, don't do any of that. Cody. Hi, Mum, my name's Cody. Call me Cody. <laughs> there's, a lot of Ashton, there's a lot of Ashtons as well. Ashton. Um, really? And Kai. 
A lot of Kai's. Stupid names. I mean, look, I, I have a West Country accent, a, a mild, like, not quite like that. If it was West Country, it'd like, be a pirate. But Kai, <laughs> Kai in my local accent is like Koi. Koi. Uh, it's terrible. <laughs> so, um, what would be my third thing? I think you go and talk to the you talk to the school. But I would just I would take your child out of any uh, situation where they have been groomed, and that might be that you take them out of school for a few months. And if you can afford it, which I know a lot of people can't, go and live on a farm. Go and go and do some work, uh, like volunteer at a farm with some or whatever. Just take them right out of all of it, but don't go along with any of it. Well, I, I I was talking to my wife said not to mention her in this podcast anymore, but I've just done it. So um, we were talking about what, what we what we would do, <laughs> and you know, because there's that whole thing of you know, I I'm like, well, you could, we could just go on go on the farm and all that, and then then she's like, well, some people can't afford that; they can't afford to do that or whatever. But I, I my idea, what do you think of this? Because the the when the school gets involved, or doctors, or the state in the current situation it can actually become get out of control really quickly so i i'm i'm going to advocate and i want to see what you think of this for being machiavellian i think you should say to a lot of these people yes like like or be like don't be overt about it but just go oh yeah okay oh, oh okay and then turn off the spigots like like just just make your plans to move or do what you got to do but in the meantime just not along like, what can they do? Like, if they if the school says, yes, we're going to transition, you go, yeah, that sounds great. That sounds great. Anyway, and then you go, get up. It's 3 a.m. We're, we're going. We're moving. We're moving to Newcastle. And then they go, what? What, what do you mean? And you go, and your phone's not coming with us. So say goodbye mm, to your yeah. phone and you could throw it out the, uh, in the bin at the airport. What do you think? Well, I think, I, look, it's the same as if your kids started doing smack, right? Started, like, taking hard drugs or was uh, being groomed. Like we had uh, loads of girls in the UK that were being groomed by large grooming gangs. And I, I think there's nothing I wouldn't do uh, to protect my kids from this, from this kind of, because actually it's not just, it's not just the harm that they do, but you know that they'll grow out of it. You know that eventually they'll wake up and then part of that blame will be themselves. Because even if we know that they can't, they don't really have the capacity to make those decisions at 12, I think it would be very difficult for them not to blame themselves and for you not to blame yourself. But yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I would, I'd sell my house and go and live in a caravan in the middle of a field if it meant I could save my kid from this cult. Honey, if you're listening to this, uh, how do you like the van life? We're going to do it. <laughs> Well, we don't have killer snakes and spiders and stuff like that in the UK. So a, a field isn't like, it's not, a, <laughs> it's not, it's not, it's not quite, quite the same thing. Every time you go out. Uh, well, we're, we're very mindful of time here, Kelly, but we've got a few more, um, you've got a few more questions for you. Uh, this, is a, this is a difficult question, but I'd like to see perhaps uh, what your thoughts are on how this will all play out. You know, what, what does it look like to win and what does it look like to lose? Okay, so lose is that we just, uh, the, the, the way that it's going, it just continues. That's losing. Um, I think it will just take one country to be like a new blueprint for how to get rid of it. Now, in England, not in Wales or Scotland or Ireland, but in England, we've done really well. 
for a number of reasons. We're tiny. We're all close to each other. Um, we saw it coming before some of the real damage had been done in our politics. Uh, you haven't been so lucky over here in Australia. Um, I actually think your country could be the one uh, to flip it. If we can change it here, I think New Zealand is a little bit further down the line and uh, there's still not enough women recognising stuff and speaking up, but Australia is a little bit different. So I think if you can, if you can get ABC to talk about it, that might be a great thing. Um, now that we've broken the silence with these events, and as I understand it, they are the most well-attended sort of events of this nature in, in the country already. I think Melbourne is going to be amazing. Um, Wokistan. I, <laughs> I just think all you have to do is let people know it's happening. That's all you have to do. You don't even have to do a lot of convincing. Once you say uh, somebody who's six foot two is going to play against your daughter in the next soccer match or is going to be in the changing room getting their penis out in front of your daughter, no one needs to be convinced that that's a, a terrible thing. They're all on board with that. So it just means we just have to let them know. And I think this would have broken the silence. And I think winning means, for me, that we get rid of any legal fiction of changing death, birth, marriage certificates, all those things that you do here. And in the UK, it's um, the Gender Recognition Act. I think we repeal it. I I'm going to stand against the leader of the opposition. When I get back, I go to Ireland for a couple of dates, and then I'm going to start my campaign to go against the leader of the opposition in the next general election. So we just need women here to do that. It's not difficult. Just do it. Well, Kelly J, we wanted to give you the last word in case there's anything we haven't we haven't covered. So you know, what, anything you need you need to get off your chest. Oh, um, I'd like to say to Australian women in particular, get out of your own way when it comes to working right across the aisle. Like that is the thing I think. I often thought, why did feminism not sort of? not get much further on this. Why, why have we lost so much ground? And I think um, women just are really bad at working with each other um, and to focus on single issue campaigns. Like my, my biggest enemies and attackers have been women supposed, supposedly on my own side. But that's just it really. I think men, men can be more pragmatic. Um, I think women have got to start getting on board the old uh, pragmatism train. Excellent, Kelly. Well, uh, I'm very much looking forward to seeing you on the 18th at the uh, Steps of Parliament here in Melbourne. Everyone should come along. I believe it's 12pm uh, that it's happening. Uh, I'll be there. Yes. And thank you so much for taking uh, this, this time out of your busy schedule to, to, to chat to us. It's been a real pleasure. You're very welcome. Thanks for having me. We have a small question that we need to answer just before you leave. It's very simple but, and you are very busy, so you can say I'm not doing any of that but we, we always ask what people are reading what are you reading right now oh god i was given a book on the um plane by a guy sat next to me who was uh into uh energy don't ask and you just said here take this take this book he said thank well, you he just said oh, i just finished reading it and it was like 12 um impressive women but i have i in in an average week to read anything at all i have about two and a half minutes fair enough well once once the war is won you can crack open some of those books thanks so much 
I will. Thanks, Canadian man. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the New Flesh podcast. If you like our work, please consider rating us on Apple Podcasts or even writing us a review. It really does help the show reach a wider audience. We'll be back with another episode next week. Until then, long live the New Flesh.